You know, a few weeks ago we talked about faith. Faith. And what is faith? Is it not that thing that gives us eyes to see the invisible? Paul says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It helps us to recognize who we are, and it also makes a reality of the prior claim that God has upon our lives because we recognize the invisible attributes, his invisible but very real existence and very real interaction in this world that we live in. The title of my message today is simply A Future Sure. But before I talk about that, I want to tell you all a story. A few years ago, it was actually about a little over 13 years ago, that um, a whole group from the Somerset Church went on a mission trip. It was actually a group from of people from all over the United States, but there was a, a good-sized group from Somerset Church and a few people from the Grove Church, and Pastor Sam came along, and uh, we went to Cuba. And this was the first time that I was actually outside well, not outside the country, because I lived in Canada, and I'd been in Canada. But other than Canada, I'd never really been outside of the uh, the United States, and certainly not on an overseas mission trip of any kind. So I was really excited. Now, of course, if you know anything about Cuba, the nation of Cuba is has been embargoed from the United States. There's no trade. There's really no flights that go from the United States to Cuba, especially not in 2005. Now... Things have been th- kind of thawing recently, and there's there's been some more commerce, but this wasn't the case in 2005. So in order to get to Cuba, the leaders of our group had to do quite a lot of paperwork and a lot of uh, finagling to get this all arranged with the communist government there and then with the government of the United States to make sure that we could get back in. But we flew to Cancun, Mexico, and uh, went through customs there as if we were going to stay in, in Mexico. And then from there, we were able to go back and and get tickets to go from Cancun across the Gulf of Mexico to Havana and Cuba. And so that's what we did. It was a group of us, uh, Bob Chase. That The group that I was in was Bob Chase and Jeannie and Ben Colangelo. And, of course, Pastor Sam was part of this group as well. But it was just really the four of us that were going to one little village on the far eastern uh part of the island of Cuba. It was quite an exciting uh, experience, actually. But uh, as we got to Cancun, we got on the airplane, and I kid you not, I looked at this airplane, and I thought, is this a relic from the Korean War? Uh, it, 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 the paint on the plane was peeling, and as we, as we got in, it was probably about the size of, of like an Embraer jet or something, fairly small plane, but it, I mean, it was a jet. So we got in, and the seats are kind of old and worn, and, and the paint is peeling. And I, I sat down in my seat, which was right uh, out over the wing. And I could look out on the wing, and not only was the paint peeling, there was a little hole in the wing, like it, you know, like it should have a cover or something, but the cover was missing. And there was kind of a bits of insulation kind of pulling out of the wing and blowing in the breeze. And I'm thinking, this is the thing, this is the jalopy that we're supposed to fly across the Gulf of Mexico in this thing. And uh, so the people kept coming on, and it was a full flight. Every seat was taken. And one thing that I did not know is that, um, I learned this later, 
they, there was an excessive amount of luggage, and for whatever reason, they had overloaded the plane, and they had put too much luggage in the, in the belly of the plane, as well as having a full flight. So we get out on the runway, and uh, you know how, how it is when you take off, and you've been flying, and I love flying. It's like, even as a kid, I always wanted to be a pilot, you know, <laughs> but... Um, Get out on the runway, and we're rolling down the runway, and you know you kind of feel the nose pick up, and then the plane takes off, right? But this time that you could, we're going down the runway, and we're going quite a ways down the runway, and finally the nose lifts up, and we're going down the runway with the nose in the air, and the back wheels stuck on the ground, and we're rolling and rolling and rolling, and I think, you know, the runway doesn't go forever; it runs out sooner or later. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, there's a really good chance that we could run out of runway before we run out of, before we get off of the ground. And not only that, but we were kind of going sideways. So I was looking out over the wing and I could see the edge of the runway getting closer and closer to the, to the plane here. And so I look over at Ben, who's sitting next to me in the seat. And uh, he looks at me and we both kind of have the same question. And I, and I say, and he says to me, um, I hope we make it. <laughs> well, I think I'm, I, I would have, you probably would have said the same thing in the similar circumstances. You know, there, there's several ways that I could have responded to that question. I could have said, oh yeah, we'll make it. We do this all the time. It always, I didn't say that because, <laughs> because that's not what I was feeling. Uh, I, I wasn't feeling like that. You know, I could have said, I believe that we'll make it. That's really reassuring, isn't it? <laughs> no. no. Uh, what I actually said is, I looked at him with my eyes about as wide as his, and I said, I hope so. <laughs> um, we, we did, uh, a, a few seconds after that, we did finally get off the ground, and, and uh, the rest of the flight was, was uneventful. I could probably spend the rest of the day telling you stories of that, of that trip to Cuba. Like the time that... Uh, that uh, one of our team members just about fell out the door of the taxi that we were riding in as we went around a curve, and the door flew open as we were going around the curve. If it hadn't been for us grabbing onto his arm, he probably would have fallen out of the door. <laughs> but uh, um, it, it was quite the adventure, to, to say the least. But this word, hope, I said to my seatmate, I hope we make it. We talk a lot about hope. We speak of being hopeful. Sometimes we speak of things being hopeless. You know, hope is this thing that lives deep down inside each one of us as human beings. It drives us forward. It gives us a reason to live. It gives us an urge to go on through hard and difficult times. Hope lives in the heart of every explorer. It lives in the heart of the adventurous, in the hope of discovering something new. Brave men and women have explored every corner of this globe. And what has driven them to do that? It is hope, perhaps the hope of great riches, perhaps the hope of fame, perhaps the hope of just seeing something or being somewhere that no one has ever been before. It lives in the heart of every sailor who's ever been lost at sea, in the hope that against all odds, he will yet see his family and loved ones again. And yes, hope lives in the heart of every weary, downtrodden soul who plods on through this weary life, beset by trials and hardships. The hope 
of a better tomorrow. The hope, if not for myself, of building a brighter future for my children. How many of you have seen the images of this migrant caravan that has been making its way from Central America up and up and up and up to the, to the Mexico and U.S. border? Or the, the, the pictures of these boats full of migrants floating across from the northern coast of Africa up and many of them have sunk and been stranded or, or otherwise stranded in the Mediterranean. How many of you have seen these pictures? What is it that would drive mothers and fathers to take their children and go travel on foot or by sinking boat to thousands of miles away from their homeland? What is it if it is not hope, the hope of a better future, the hope that perhaps by some chance, I will escape this, the ravages of war and find a land where we can live our lives in peace. Yes, hope is strong. Hope drives us to do some things that are perhaps humanly impossible. Yes, hope is strong, but hope is not indomitable. And for millions of people in this world today, hope is well-nigh dead. You know, just about six weeks ago, we saw a terrible tragedy in California. Thirteen people were killed in a senseless murder-suicide in Thousand Oaks. And we stand aghast and outraged that this was the, just the second mass shooting in two weeks after the shooting in the synagogue just not long before that. Senseless murder. Senseless loss of life. What if I were to tell you? What if I were to tell you that a mass shooting was taking place every day? Would you be outraged? I would be. What if I were to tell you that nine mass shootings were taking place every single day. I think you would be outraged. I know I would be. My friends, that is happening in this country today. Right now, as we speak, 123 people every single day chooses to take their own lives in suicide. Every hour, another five people are dead. What, my friends, what would drive someone to take their own life if it is not for the loss of hope? You come to a point in your life where it looks like there's no hope, and that's when they choose. Precious, precious people choose to end it all. What is hope? Is hope simply a desire, simply a longing, simply a chance that maybe things will get better in the future? You know, we speak of hope. I can say, I hope it snows tomorrow, or I hope it doesn't snow tomorrow. <laughs> and, and we talk th about that, and it's like there's only a chance. Flip a coin. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. I go down to the store down here, which I don't. But I could go down here and buy a lottery ticket. And I could say, I hope I win the jackpot. 
there's not much chance it'll happen. But I use the word that way. But my friends, I want to submit to you that when we open the scriptures, we find this word, hope, and it means something totally different than what we think it means. It's not a chance. We say, sometimes when all else fails, well, our only hope is in the Lord. What do you mean, our only hope? As if that was our last chance. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And in verse 24, Romans 8, verse 24, For we are saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Paul says we are saved in this hope. It is a hope that we do not see. And yet he doesn't speak of it as a maybe, as a perhaps. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. Paul writes, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. How much does God lie? How much can God lie? He cannot lie. And if he cannot lie, and he promised, that is our hope. That is what Paul says. You know, we talked about faith. We talked about how faith gives us eyes to see the invisible. In a sense, faith reaches back to the past and grabs hold of our roots. It sees the things that God has done in the past, and it claims those for the present. Hope is the other arm of faith, because hope takes that faith and puts it in the future and gives us not a chance, but an assurance of the future. You know, in the New Testament, of course, quiz question, what language was the New Testament written in originally? Greek. I'm glad none of you said King James. <laughs> the Greek language. And in the Greek language, this word that we say, we translate as hope, is the word elpis. In fact, in the Greek culture, elpis is, as it were, the personification of hope. Now, it can actually go both ways. Elpis can mean a, an expectation of good or an expectation of evil. So it can mean both hope and fear. But in the sense that it's used most often here in the New Testament, it is in this sense of hope. Now, it's quite interesting if you go into the Greek mythology, and the, the Greek uh, culture has an explanation for everything in the world and everything around it, right? Um, it's not always true, but it's, it's kind of an explanation. And so you have this story of Pandora. You've heard of Pandora's box, right? And uh, it's kind of a corruption, in a sense, of the story of Adam and Eve, right, and the fall of, uh, of Adam and Eve. But uh, Pandora has this box, and in this box are all kinds of suffering and woe and death and misery and heartache and hope. And through a chain of circumstances, and you know how the Greek stories can go, through a chain of circumstances, this, this box is opened and the contents of the box is spilled into the world. And everything, all of this misery and heartache and suffering is spilled and only one thing is left, and that is elpis, that is hope. And hope is still locked 
in the box. And so to the people that Paul was writing to, it was a people that had, that saw in the world, as we see it today, a world full of suffering, a world full of misery, and yet a world without hope. And to these people, Paul writes in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 11, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. The full assurance of hope. Not a maybe, but a promise. And in verses 18 and 19, By two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled the refuge and lay hold of the hope that is set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus. My friends, we have a hope that is sure, a hope that is a solid, a firm assurance. As sure as we stand here today, we have that much assurance of the future, of a good future that God has in store for us. But my question is this, my friends. What if we, like the people of the time, the apostles, what if we have no hope? What if we've come to that point in our lives where it seems like all hope is gone? How can we get hope? My friends, that song that we sang just a few minutes ago, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit and washed in his blood. My friends, we can claim the promises of God. We can read the gospels and we can realize that Jesus did what he did for you and for me. And when we come to those points in our lives where, where we are weeping and where we are feeling as though everything we do is hopeless, we can claim his promises. Psalms chapter 126, verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. My friends, we may not see things happening today, but my friends, the promise of God's word is like that seed that we drop in the ground today, and in the future we know that we will reap a harvest. We can gain hope, my friends, first by claiming God's promises. But sometimes, my friends, and I'm talking about myself too, I've been in a point in my life where I felt that I could not open God's word. I felt that I couldn't claim his promises. And it is at those times that the testimony or the encouragement of another person can bring hope to my own heart. Look at Colossians chapter 2. And verse 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. Now, you actually have to go back uh, to verse 1 uh, to know what Paul is, is saying here. He's talking about how I want to be with you in order to encourage you. My friends, so often when we are alone, we can sink into discouragement. But by fellowship with others, by the testimony of other people, and yes, even by the stories of God's word, like the story of Job, we can gain encouragement. We can gain hope 
when we do not have it ourselves. And on the flip side of that, my friends, how many times walking through our life do we encounter someone with their head down, walking along, going through life, going through the motions without hope? How many of you have experienced the blessings of God in your life? I know I have. How many of you have a story to tell? I know I do. Is it possible that that story, that yes, though I've gone through trials, the story of those trials and how God has brought me through them can be an encouragement to someone else when perhaps they're at a point in their life that they cannot pick up God's word. They can't claim God's promises for themselves, but through your story, they can gain hope. And we can together press on to that mark. So claiming the promises of God and through the testimony of other people, last but not least, through a knowledge and relationship with the risen Christ. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Through a knowledge and relationship with Jesus, we can gain hope in our own hearts. I love that song. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living because he lives. And my friends, it is because of Jesus that we can have hope in this life and hope for the life to come. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, say it with me, my friends, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the hope of glory? It is Christ in you. Amen? And not only this, although that is more than enough, day by day, abiding and living with Christ, but not only that, we have something to look forward to, my friends. First Thessalonians chapter 4. We could read the whole book of First Thessalonians like Christina was talking about last week in Sabbath school. But First Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. But then what does, what does Paul go on to describe? The resurrection morning when the trumpet of God will sound and he will descend to this earth and he will raise the saints that have fallen to sleep. And then we will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will ever be with the Lord. My friends, we have a hope not just for now, but we have a hope for the future. You know, a few years ago, uh, there's this tree that, is, that was growing right directly behind my garage, and I was rather concerned that it would fall over on the garage. So I had a friend come over, and, and he cut the tree down all the way at the base. And, you know, every year I go back, and I have to take my pruners, and I go around the base of that tree and cut the little shoots off. And even after I've cut them off, the next year... They grow back. And the next year, they grow back again. And I was out there actually this morning 
uh, getting a, a few pieces of firewood uh, for the fire. And I looked, and there on that stump, now this has been several years back, there on that stump is a new shoot growing up. Now it doesn't have leaves on it, but I looked, and there's a little tiny bud. On the end, on all the ends of that little twig, there are little buds. And I know that if I do not cut that down, that come spring, which I'm sure it's gonna, it's coming, it doesn't seem like it, but I know it's coming, I have hope, come spring, those leaves are gonna be bursting out, and there's gonna be not one tree, but a whole little miniature forest of trees growing up from that dead stump. We find in the book of Job, chapter 14 and verse 7, For there is hope for a tree if it is cut down, that it will sprout again, and that its tender shoots will not cease. And that little picture that I saw this morning is a perfect picture of that hope. Because let's face it, my friends, there are times in our lives when we come to a point and it feels like everything's been cut down. It feels like this is it. This is the end. There's nothing past this. But you know what Job said? He says, after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. How my heart yearns within me. You see, Job had this hope, this hope that is stronger than death, this hope that although his body would be destroyed, yet he would see God. And my friends, we can have the same hope today. What does it look like to live by hope? Can I tell you all another story? I, I, I told you at the beginning that I'm fascinated by airplanes. And uh, as, as a kid, I always wanted to be a pilot. My youngest brother is just like me, and he still wants to be a pilot. But uh, there's two fighter jets, uh, actually a, a cluster of fighter jets, that were doing an exercise over Israel. This was back in 1983, so this has been a few years ago. There's an F-15 uh, that was flying and an A-4 Skyhawk, and they were flying towards each other in this simulated uh, training mission, this simulated uh, air combat. And as they were flying towards each other, just for a split second, they lost sight of, of each other. And uh, Zifi Nadafi was the pilot of the F-15, and he tells the story about uh, just in that instant, as, these, as he lost sight of the other plane, he heard this tremendous explosion as the two planes collided mid-air. And he looked up just in time to see the, the um, Skyhawk turning into this great fireball in front of his eyes. Um, thankfully, the pilot was able to eject, and he heard on the radio that the pilot was, was um, making it down to safety, although his plane was, was obliterated. But he's piloting this uh, plane, and, and his navigator is in the, in the seat behind him, and his plane is badly damaged. He knows that because it is spiraling out of control. He's about 14,000 feet above the ground, but his plane is spiraling out of control with the nose about 30 degrees down, and, and he's just spinning, spinning, spinning towards the ground. Now, it doesn't take very long to cover 14,000 feet, <laughs> when you're going several hundred miles an hour as he's, as he's traveling. And uh, so he tells his navigator, prepare to eject. We're going to get out of this, of this plane. But as he's, as he's spiraling towards the ground, he does something that is 
counterintuitive. No one would, would really want to do this, but uh, he pushes the throttle all the way forward and opens the afterburners. So he's not only spiraling towards the ground, but he's accelerating faster and faster towards the ground. Now, as he's accelerating towards the ground and spinning out of control, um, faster and faster, finally, as he gets enough speed, he's able to, with the controls, he's able to get the plane to stop rolling and slowly bring up the nose of his airplane. Now, he's flying with a full afterburner, so he's flying kind of like a rocket through the air. He knows his plane is damaged, uh, but he says, okay, we're not going to eject quite yet. He calls over to another plane that's flying with him. He says, can you come up close and see how badly damaged this plane is? And they could come up, and they could see that the fuel was spraying out of the right side of the plane, but they could not see the wing or anything clearly on the on this plane. So he says, well, okay, it's flying badly, but it's flying. <laughs> he says, I think I can make it. And there was an airport about 10 miles away, so he radios to the airport. He comes down, and every time he tries to slow his plane to to bring it into the approach to land, every time he tries to slow the plane, it begins to go into a tailspin. So he keeps the afterburners on. He keeps flying down. He goes across, and if any of you are fans of planes and flying, he goes across the threshold of the runway at about 260 knots, which is about twice the speed that you're supposed to go in that in that particular aircraft. So he knows that there is a cable about a third of the way down the runway, so he lowers the arrestor hook in it to catch the cable. It rips the hook out of the back of his plane as it goes across, because <laughs> it's just not designed for those kind of speeds. But he manages to bring the plane to a stop 20 feet short of running off the end of the runway. So after this harrowing landing, uh, he opens the canopy and reaches back to shake the hand of his navigator. And for the first time, he actually gets a clear look at the wing of his plane. And his mouth drops open because the wing was gone. He had flown the plane with no wing, with only one wing, and landed it with only one wing. And As he tells the story later, he says, if I had known the wing was missing, I would have ejected. Because it's obvious you can't fly a plane with only one wing. But he didn't know. And so he landed it. He hoped, he had hope that he could land that plane. And through that hope, he did the impossible. And my friends, it's kind of like that in our lives today. You know, I can, I imagine every one of us has gone through a crisis in our lives. And sometimes we come to a point in our lives, like that mid-air collision, and things, there's a huge explosion and everything changes. And at that moment, our, when our lives are spinning out of control and headed for an inevitable crash, at that moment, we have a choice to make. We can choose to give up, or we can choose, like Zephi, the pilot, to hope, to hope against hope for the future, to believe, not just believing in ourselves and our own abilities, but to believe in one who has already conquered. 
My friends, it's easy to wish that there was an ejection seat, an easy exit, a shortcut, but there's no ejection seats in life. And our only option is with Christ by our side to open the throttle, to turn on the afterburners, and to go full forward, no looking back, no hesitation, to place our hands in God's hands and allow Him to pilot us home. Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous of good works. Looking for that blessed hope, my friends. How many of you today are not only wishing but hoping, confident in a future, sure. Our loving Father in heaven, thank you for the hope, the assurance that you have given us of a future with you. Help us, Lord, no matter whatever trials we may be going through, to look to you, you who are the author and the finisher of our faith. For we have this blessed hope and this glorious assurance. Bless us now as we go our separate ways until we meet again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.